All right, good. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans, all right? Go ahead and turn to Romans. And um, again, we've been in this series, and, and it's been a really, really cool series. Not because I'm doing it, obviously, because, because the book of Romans is, is foundational. And I like the book of Romans because it's straightforward and it's, easily, it's easy to understand. Uh, at least mostly, if you just slow down look, and look at it for what does it say. You know, it's, it's one of those where sometimes, you know, when you hear people say, well, that's your interpretation. Well, not really. Because when you look at it, it's that self-explanatory. You just kind of have to say, well, I, I, I think, you know, but, but what it says is very clear. And that's why I like it. And that's why I'm, I'm so thrilled to share it with you. Because it's foundational to what is, who is Jesus and why did he come? In other words, the, the gospel, you know, people talk about the gospel. What's the gospel, you know? Well, the book of Romans shares it clearly what it is. And especially in chapters 1 through 10, we're in chapter 6 today. I don't have time to review. Guys, it really, the book of Romans builds on top of one another. First couple of chapters, chapters talk about sin. Uh, chapter 1 is, the, is the, what we would think sin. Chapter 2 is more religiosity, kind of self-righteous and it's a pretty powerful chapter. Chapter three just tells us that we're all sinners, right? Every one of us. And then chapter four, it gives us an illustration, Abraham. Last time I was with you, it gave you this picture of, you know, sin in the world and what it brought and who Christ is and what he came to do and, and, and the comparison between the two. I'll read to you a few verses, but I'm going to really get through the, you know, trying to intro and recap things really quickly because, uh, because with all that we had to do today, I'm going to run out of time fast. And so I, but I do want you to see a little bit of chapter five that we talked about last time. If you've missed any along the way, I would really encourage you because I can't tell you how important it is for us, for all of us to understand what is it? What is it? Okay. What is the gospel? When you talk about the gospel far beyond what denominations say, you know, when you groups of people together and they vote on what they believe about this or that, but what does it say? And, uh, and that becomes such a powerful thing. Why? Because, because churches don't change people's lives, all right? Christ does. We're just an organized group of people that, that he's brought together for us to do, obviously, his work, his, his word, that, things like that. But it's his word that makes the difference. And so it's such a, I don't know, just such a cool thing to see it and to understand it. I've prayed for you today. Uh, I prayed that God would open our eyes and let us see this, perhaps maybe for the first time, but if not for the first time, a refresh in looking of who we are in him and what that means. There'll be, there'll be a couple of ways to look at this, all right? If you're not a believer today, or at least you're not sure, then it'll be a clear picture of what it is. But today too is written so much about the believer and, and understanding who you are in him. So Romans chapter five, verse 12 says this, therefore, just as sin came into the world, right? Through one man, that is Adam, right? So there's a comparison here. Uh, between Adam and Jesus. And not so much of a comparison, but a contrast, all right? You'll see what I mean in just a minute, all right? And death came through sin, and so death spread to all of us. Why? Because all of us are sinners, right? Wages of sin is death, which is the very last verse we'll talk about today, all right? For sin was indeed, okay? It was indeed was in the world, all right, before the law was given, that is God's commands. For sin is not counted, that is, it's not recognized, okay, where there is no law. Therefore, 
you, you, but that doesn't mean that there is no sin. It just means it's not recognized as readily. The law was given to us, or God's commands were given to us to show that we couldn't follow them, right? And so and it says, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even to those whose sinning was not like Adam's, all right? But was a, he was a type who was the one who was to come. That is a picture. Like what we talked about the pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. So therefore, Adam is that way. This is all review from last time. I just wanted you to see a little bit of it before we headed into what we wanted to talk about today. All right? Uh, but the free gift is not like the trespass. So what he's comparing the two, he said, listen, here's the differences. So it's more of a contrast, a comparison of contrast, if you will. All right? Uh, for if many died, okay, through one man's trespass or sin, much more uh, have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one, be Jesus Christ, abound to many. So the impact of Adam's decision obviously is clear, but it, the same through the one man, Christ, Jesus, the impact of many. So that's what he's talking about. He says, the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sins, for judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many tresses, trespasses brought justification. As I've told you before, you need to understand the word tre- uh, justification because it's a key, it's a key word in Romans. All right? These are not hard words to understand once you get them. Just means right. Uh, the other part of the word, it means taking that which is not right and making it right. That's what the word justify means. Okay? So for if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So you got this picture that uh, those of us that are in Christ, we are, we'll find out in a couple of chapters, we have what the Bible calls imputed righteousness. Therefore, it's given to us, not that we are righteous, but because he's made us righteous, because of who he is and what he came to do. So these things, again, this is just reviewing where we've been, but I wanted you to understand it. Now, in chapter five, verse 20, and this is the last, last verse we'll, we'll share and review, it says this. It says, but the law came, that is God's commands came, to increase the trespass or the sin. In other words, the law just showed us our need, right? He says, but where sin increased, this is, this is good stuff, grace abounded all the more. Now, what does that mean? That's why, this is why I'm able to share it with you. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how great you may think your sins are. God's grace can always overcome them, right? That is what he's saying here. And that's the cool part about this picture and this understanding. So, so today's title is Being in Christ. You'll see how important that title is as we walk through it. There's some things I really want you to see today. But out of all of the, you know, when people describe, if you are a believer here today, when people describe us, right, what is the best title for who we are? Because you understand that the title Christians in Acts eleven twenty six, it says the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now that's chapter 11 of Acts. So, so the, the term Christian was not even a term in the early church until, until Acts 11, right? And that was just a way that the people in Antioch described these people, just called them Christians, right? Christians. But, you know, before that, they were called disciples. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So, so the, probably the best description, as you'll see from this chapter, of who we are is, is that we are in Christ. And you'll see why I say that in just a minute. 
powerful passage in chapter six, all right? So being in Christ is the title. So let's jump into it. Now, number one is what I'm gonna say is, is I'm gonna say that this thought is, is that knowing who we are in Christ, all right? So in Christ is the key, but knowing what that means is huge because how you see yourself will also be how you respond. You know, when, th when somebody thinks very badly of themselves, then they'll allow themselves to be treated terribly because they think the same thing, right? So what you think of who you are is huge as far as being a believer. So I want you to see it because that's what this passage is all about. All right, so let's take a look. We're just going to walk through these things verse by verse in chapter six. We're going to cover all the verses and you'll see them. But it is, again, I can't, I can't say it over enough. Powerful, amazing, incredible, whatever you want to call it. But these passages, if you'll hang with me, uh, they'll be eye-opening, I promise. All right, so verse one of chapter six, verse one. It says, what shall we say then? Okay, are we to continue in sin uh, so that grace may abound? Now, he asks two questions, and one's a little bit later, you know, just a handful of verses down, but it basically asks the same thing. And here's the thought, and this is what, this is what people will say. I don't hear it as much anymore, but I remember, <clears throat> I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, I was asked this all the time. And the, and the question is this, all right? Well, Jeff, if it's all about grace, therefore, has nothing to do with us, right? We've talked about that. That is what the first few chapters of Romans, have, first five chapters have shared with us, okay? What is grace? Grace is a gift that you don't deserve, okay? Therefore, you are justified. You are made right with God because of who Christ is and what he did at the cross. And it has nothing to do with you living a particular way or being moral, whatever. Therefore, you put your faith and trust in him. And what he did at the cross is a substitute for you, all right? Now, so here, you know, here's, the, here's logic and where some people go with that. And they'll begin to think, well, well, you know, well, that doesn't sound right, right? They say, you know, well, what about these people that live morally, you know, and these people live terribly? So all you're saying is that the people that live terribly, all they have to do is put their faith and trust in Christ. And, 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 and that doesn't seem fair. And they, they go into all kinds of human logic. But here's, here's the thought about it, right? is that some see this, that if it has nothing to do with my own works, then, then are we just saying that, hey, listen, I've got a get out of jail free card, right? I mean, if I've got a get out of jail free card, I can commit all the crimes I want and I just flash them the card. All right, that's what, that is what people see it as. And therefore they, they many times say, well, yeah, we need what Christ did at the cross, but it's also, it's also about us following all the rules and obeying and doing what we're supposed to do that makes us right with God. And understand, okay, that may be okay with human logic, but it is not the gospel. It's just not, it's not who Christ, I mean, think about it. You'll see it in just a minute. So he goes on and because Paul has asked the same question and answers it. And it is a powerful answer when you take a look at it. So let's continue to meet, continue to read. So, so we're gonna continue, right? We're gonna continue, uh, you know, this end because, you know, so the grace will continue around. And he says, by no means. Uh, some translations say, God forbid. Uh, a current illustration would be, 
That's ridiculous. All right, I just like to see it. I mean, because sometimes these things, you know, by no means, or that's ridiculous, whatever you want to say, but that's what he's saying. It's more of an expression than it is a definition, right? All right, it's like, oh my goodness, right? Oh my goodness. My goodness? What is that? No, it's an expression. Like, you got to be kidding me. All right, that, that kind of, so that's what this is. By no means is, okay, that's, that's just ridiculous, all right? So how can, here, here, here it comes, here it comes. Now, hang on to your hats here because it's going to pick up and move fast. He says, how can we, he's talking about believers. So then how can a believer actually say to themselves, all right? The one who has died to, st- died to sin, how can he still live in it? So in other words, well, then Jeff, what do you mean died to sin? It explains it all if you'll just keep following. I can't tell you how important this is in the life of a believer and citizen, because I can't tell you how many times people say to me, you know, um, well, you know, I, I've, I've, I, I've you know, put my faith and trust in him, whatever. But the question really comes down to it is that when you become his, there's a change that happens in a person's life. It tells us all about it here in just a minute. What does he mean to be dead or died to sin? Well, you have to understand what it means to be in Christ. So he, he shares it with us in verse three. It says this, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Okay. So what does that mean? Well, let me help you out. Some of the most misinterpreted verses there are. Notice here, okay? Notice the word baptize. I would dare say that 90% of you in the room, when I mentioned the word baptize, you immediately thought water baptism. But that is not what is being talked about here, right? It's not even mentioned. Water baptism is not even mentioned. The problem that makes it Difficult is the word baptize. You know, it got so controversial when they were translating this passage is that they didn't translate the word baptize. Baptize, the Greek was the original language. The word baptizo is the Greek word. So they didn't, they didn't translate it, they transliterated it, which basically they just made a new word and they just called it baptized, All right? So then what does the Greek word baptize means? It means to submerge or to envelop, right? To be totally enveloped, to be in. So what we're talking about here is not water baptism. Why? Because water baptism is just a picture of the real thing. Nod your head if you think you you know what I'm talking about. All right. So therefore, water baptism, you'll hear me say this. See, we've gotten so wrapped up in rituals that we failed to understand what they mean. Thank God Christ only gave us two, you know, or we would have messed them all up. We still mess some of them up because we, we somehow think water baptism makes a difference, and it does not. What it represents makes the difference. Because you're baptized into Christ. It says here, do you not all of us that have been baptized, not in water, but in Christ. Therefore, you are immersed in him. That's what makes you in Christ. 
It'll make more sense in a minute as we keep walking through the passage, but you gotta see this. Therefore, when somebody is baptized in water, all they're doing is telling everybody, hey, that's what happened to me, right? I was crucified with Christ, I was buried in him, and I was raised to walk in, new, in a new life. In other words, what you're saying is, is that that's what happened to me, and I want everybody to know, and the water is just symbolic, okay? Now, notice this. Okay, <clears throat> I, I'm not wearing a wedding ring. It shrunk in the wash. Okay, and uh, but I ask you a question. Oh, well, does that mean I'm not married anymore? Because my marriage is not wrapped up in a ring. It's wrapped up in a real relationship between Martha and I. And this is just a symbol. Therefore, not married, married, not married, married. No. Why? Because it's not about that. And people get so bent out of shape over water baptism when it's nothing more than a symbol of the real thing. If you've been baptized in water, that could mean nothing or everything. Because when you ask somebody the question, uh, you know, are you a Christian or are you a believer or whatever? And, and this happens often. They'll say to you, yes, I've been baptized, right? That could really mean good or that could mean really bad. Now, if, we, if you're meaning I've been baptized, that is, I've been immersed in him, I've put my faith and trust in who he is and what he came to do, then yes, that is. But if you're meaning that you, you, you know, you, you, you went in dry and you came out wet, that doesn't mean anything. You realize that you can go into water baptism and, and you start out a, a, a dry center and you just come out a wet one. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be irreverent here. I just want you to see it. I can't tell you how many people are putting their faith and trust in the fact that they've been baptized by water when they're trusting the symbol and not the reality of the symbol. Am I, am I breaking through here? I want you to see that who Christ is and what he came to do. And humans, you and I, are real bad about worshiping symbols as opposed to the reality. The Lord's Supper. Jesus tried, Jesus tried the best he could to explain what it was, right? The bread represents his body. The blood represents what he came to do. Therefore, who he is, what he came to do. The bread and wine mean in and of themselves don't do you any good. But what they represent can change everything. That's why Jesus said, do this in remembrance. It's just to remember. So we take a look at these things and, and understanding them can be extremely powerful and liberating if we get them. But I, I'm convinced sometimes that we, we don't see them and we get caught up in the rituals and the trappings and everything else and we fail to, fail to understand the reality of what they are. So look at verse three again, just the end part of it, all right? It says, do you not know that all of us have been baptized in, in Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? So we've been, we were immersed in his death, that's the picture, enveloped. Okay, we were then buried, 
Okay, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Get water out of your mind. Get who Christ is, what he came to do. And what he came to do was to be the answer you needed. Therefore, we're buried. We were, we were crucified with him. We were buried with him into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If any man's in Christ, he's a what? A new creation. The water doesn't make you a new creation. Christ does. That's what he does. So the celebration that you and I have of being in Christ is the incredible impact it makes in your life. And the rest of chapter six just explains about that impact. And it is incredible. As tired as I am, I've gotten excited at the previous two services, even the one last night, right? When I didn't even hardly know my own name, right? For if we've been united, okay, with him in a death like his, united with him, What's the word united mean? United, unity. The word uni means one, obviously unicycle, one wheel, right? United means two becoming one, right? Much like when we celebrate somebody's marriage as, as Christ talks about, I mean, as the scriptures talk about two becoming one. But in this, we've been united with him in his death. So when he died, we died. That's why I talked about it at the beginning is that we've been buried, immersed. I mean, baptism in, unto his death, right? Therefore, he died for us. We can actually say he died in our place, but we were, it, was, it was us. It was this amazing thing. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united him in a resurrection like his. Okay, now that's good news in, in case you're not catching on. All right? So if you're in him, okay, you died or he died on your behalf, you're with him, but also you will, you'll be raised. And not just the resurrection of the last day, that's included, right? That's the big part of it, but also right now to walk a new life. You are a different person, all right? Verse six, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. Okay, now this is interesting. It doesn't take much to understand these passages. It just takes just a couple of explanations. Okay, now the old self, who's the, who and what is the old self? What are we talking about? Well. There's this old person that is who we used to be. Believers, I can always tell believers who are true believers, especially they'll talk about, you know, well, that's who I used to be, right? Those, that's what I used to do, right? Those are the places I used to go to because that's who I was. But the new person, the new creation, this is who I am now. And the further you get away from the old person, the more difference in your life there should be, okay? See, I became a believer when I was 21, right? In fact, I've gotten so far away from that old person. I still have vivid memories, but I've, cut, I've, come, so, I've, I've come so far from that old person because I'm in Christ now. There's a newness of life, new creation, all stuff. I've come so far, I even look back at that old guy and I, I, I think to myself, how could that have even been me? Right? Because 
I died with Christ, but then, but then I, you know, the difference is huge. So we know that our old self was crucified. So when Christ did what he did, if we put our faith and trust in him, we're in him. That is that old person, the sinful old person, was crucified with Christ. So you have this great parallel of what he's trying to teach us and to show us. In order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So if you're a believer here today, okay, if you are enslaved to some sin, it's because you choose to be. That may be hard to hear, but it is the truth, okay? Because you, you have been set free from it because there is a new person there. He, he explains it as we keep going. Look at verse seven. It says, for one, <clears throat> for one who has died has been set free from sin. So when you died with him, it no longer has dominion over you. So especially in the early days of being a believer, a believer needs to be taught, someone who's in Christ, of who they are now, as opposed to who they used to be. Because when you keep identifying yourself with a lot of the bad decisions and the stuff that's over here, it's amazing how those things can steep, keep keep controlling, right? Keep you enslaved. And this, this is the whole, whole what he's talking about here. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, right? We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Wow! I don't know if you got it or not, but do you, if you're in him, that applies to you. Right? Just in case you missed it. We know that Christ raised from the dead. Okay, he was raised from the dead. And now we know that, death ha that, that he'll never die again. Why? Because death does not have dominion over him. Well, if you're in him, the same is true for you. That is, that is the new life, the new creation we have in him when you understand who he is and what he came to do. It is a powerful thing when you really see it and understand it. You need to understand who you are. You know, it's an incredible thing. I've shared little bits and pieces with the, this along the way. But now, when I was 21, it was, it was really interesting because, you know, I had a, I, I just was who I was, right? And, and, and it's interesting because there was this battle that, that, that goes on now that didn't go on then. But let me tell you a couple of things. This is interesting because the who I was here, after I started getting some distance between who I was and now who I am, and I remember when Martha and I started dating, you know, we'd be out and about and, you know, wherever we would be, and somebody from the old life would come up and, you know, you know, perish and a whole lot of cuss words and, you know, hey, we got to get together, man, we need to go out and all this stuff. And, But that's who I used to be. But that's not who I am now. And when you get enough distance from it, that, that old self doesn't have to rule anymore. You see, you're gonna find this out in a couple of weeks. I mean, the book of Romans just keeps building. 
Because Paul goes on to, that doesn't mean that we're perfect. That doesn't even come close to meaning that we're perfect. All right? Because in fact, Paul goes on to say in a couple of chapters from now, he said, you know, he said, there's a war going on in here. The old and the new. Right? And, and Paul actually makes a statement. Again, we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. He says, it's, it's waging war inside of me. In fact, before I became a believer, there was no war. Things really didn't get hard till I became a believer. And unless you've become a believer, you don't know what I'm talking about. Because before I became a believer, there was no battle going on here. I just did whatever I wanted to do. But the new nature, when it, when it came to life and I started being in Christ, then the battle began between the old self and the new one, right? In fact, Paul made statements like, you know, I found that, that this war sometimes is a, is a tough one. He says, the things I wanna do, I wind up not doing them. And then the things I don't wanna do, I wind up doing them. You know, and then he would say, you know, what a wretched man I am, which is translated, am I sick or what? Right? And he goes on to talk about, but victory's already been won, and, and who I am in Christ is going to give me the victory of, over, over that. And eventually it'll all be done away with, but there's still a battle that goes on here. So I'm not saying that anybody's perfect and that you're gonna be sinless. Those are not things I'm saying. But what I am telling you is this, is that anybody that is a true believer, this whole thought of, oh, I'm a believer now and I can just sin all I want to, that will not, at least not for very long, that will not happen in the life of a true believer for very long. Why? Because you're different than you were before. You know, sin is something that we all, they all deal with. You know, I'm a, I'm a parent right? and I have four children, okay? And all four of them are, 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 are sinners. Every one of them. You know, some were a bit a little worse than others, but they're all sinners. And guess what? I don't want to bust your bubble, but all your children are sinners too. See, that's not even politically correct in our culture, but it is the truth. But you know, as I taught my children, I, there were certain things that we were, that's not who, what we're going to do. You know, and I'd look at them and say, okay, you're not going to act that way. Now, and I'm a sinful parent, but if you're his, he's not going to let you act that way. Oh man, I can go do anything I want to because I know he'll forgive me. You have no idea what you're talking about. Either number one, you're not really his, or number two, you won't live that way long. Why? Because you've got a heavenly parent now in your life that will not. He says, he said, if I've begun a good work in you, I will continue it. Scripture says that. And so I will continue until the day of Jesus Christ. So he is at work in your life because you're a new creation. So, so what Paul is saying is the believer who says, I'll just sin all I want to because I know I'm forgiven. Either number one is not really his or they're just so immature they haven't grown enough yet. But my thought is, it's usually because somebody has gone through some ritual or gone through some class, you know, in a church and, or maybe became a member of a church and, and they call themselves a Christian, you know, but it doesn't affect anything the way they live. Guys, that person's not a believer. 
They may be religious, but they are not a believer. When someone is born again, there is a new life that happens, that begins to grow. And it is an incredible thing when it, when it, when it begins to occur. As you see the distance separate between the person you used to be and the new person he's making of you, it is, it is something that he does, right? So, so this picture then of baptized, being in him, being immersed in him, and how does that happen? Well, the scriptures are real clear, by grace through faith. It's a gift he's given to you, right? And it only gets into your life by faith, by grace through faith, right? Now, so number two, number two is only one verse and it won't take long. It says, you need to count yourself, right? How you see yourself is the first. Number two, you need to count yourself as dead to sin. And verse 11 is the verse. It says, so that, you, so that you also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ, right? So it's the way you see it because it's the fact. Well, I don't feel, okay, I understand, but I don't feel like is, 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 doesn't matter with what it really is, right? Feelings get in the way sometimes. And we are such an existential type people. We're such an emotional people and, and, and we live by our emotions and impulses and everything that goes with it. But that is not who he's called us to be, right? So, so the encounter self did sin. Number three, I've got to move a little quicker. It's yielding to his work in us. So then how does a person grow? Because a believer, if he or she allows these things to rule in their lives, that's what this passage is all about, then you can fall back into the same slavery that he's already set you free from. But the problem is it's willing slavery. It's by choice. You'll see it in just a minute. So yielding to, yielding to, as a believer, Lord, I want to be yours. I want to, I want to grow in you. Yielding to what he's called you to be. Okay, first of all is the fact of this, all right? Verse 12, it says, don't let sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And this is interesting. Therefore, the sin that's around us says, don't let it reign because it doesn't have to anymore. What are we talking about? Well, the sins that are around us promise all kinds of things, you know, and usually and it doesn't mean that it's all bad. You know, there are some cheap, cheap thrills. They're usually very short lived. And usually it takes more of it to have the same effect. And before long, you're just left kind of empty. We've talked about this many times, the whole and the soul and the different things. So he's saying, listen, don't let it rain. So if you're a believer here, if you are a true believer here today, then it, it's your choice if you're gonna let it rain or not. I find that amazing, okay? Because when you let it rain, then you obey its passions. Therefore, what it promises. It goes on to say in verse 13, don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. In other words, present is to yield to or is to let reign, right? But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, okay? And your members to God as instruments of righteousness. It says here, for sin, this is interesting, will, no, will, will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Remember, it doesn't have to rule. And if it does, it's because you're letting it. Interesting. Incredible to think about. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect because there's always a battle. And growth is one of those things that takes you up to it. But it's, it's, it's an amazing thing to think on. Number two is what I'm going to call the freedom. The fact, 
the freedom. And the last one is the fruit. We'll talk about it in a minute. So the fact is who you are in him. The freedom is what then? Are we to sin because we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace? That's the same concept. That's the same question that people ask. Is that that's not who you're going to be for very long. Because in the end, if you keep following those, if you keep letting it rain, then you're just going to live a defeated life. And you know better, right? It's like I've always told you, the most miserable people in the world are not unbelievers. The most miserable people in the world are believers who are living in slavery when they don't have to be. And they know better. Interesting, huh? It's amazing how we can get addicted to things when we don't have to be. What then? Are we to just keep sinning because, we, we, because we're under grace and we know God will forgive us? Why go the misery route when you should know better? See, these are the answers that Paul gave. They're all here if you want to know them. Incredible. All right, did you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient uh, slaves, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey? Okay, everybody serves something. And he personifies sin here, right? So therefore, if you present yourselves to sin, right, either to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. So some people say, well, I don't serve anybody, I serve myself. Well, yeah, well, that, well, well then who are you? You're a sinner, so you're serving sin. You're going to serve something. And we live in a culture that we've set up self as being the all supreme being. But it, it leads to some really ugly places, which we'll talk about those just a just a minute, all right? So as a believer, who you yield yourself to, right? It's an incredible thing of where it leads. Verse 17, it says, but thanks be to God. I love that statement, but thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin. You have become obedient uh, from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you're committed, right? And having been set free, from sin, you become the slaves of righteousness. So it is the change that comes over a person's life. And the more distance you get between you and the old self, I look back and I just, I, I, I don't even hardly think to myself that, that that is so far from who I was and who I wanna be. In fact, I have sometimes even a hard time believing that was me because when you separate from that, that long ago. All right, then the fruit, and this is where I'll close, all right? I'm speaking in human terms, all right, because of your natural limitations. In other words, the people in Rome were still so young in their faith, actually, he's not really getting on a spiritual level here. He's just sharing in ways that they can understand. That's what he says by verse 19. For just as you once presented yourself as, uh, as members of slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now you present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification, okay? Which is the process of growing in that. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? All right, I want you to hear this, right? I can't tell you how many times. I just like to tell you things I get talked about, but sometimes some say, oh, you know, no, I can't be a Christian. There's just too many things you'd miss out on. You know, I can't give this up, that up. And, and I always like to ask the question. I try not to be smart aleck about it. But I always ask the question, well, how's that stuff working out for you? 
That's just a, this is just a, a scriptural way of saying, how's that working out for you? But what fruit were you getting at the time from those things, right? How's it working out? Life all you, what you wanted it to be? Is it coming through for you? No, it's not. Of course it's not. Pick whatever, whatever road you wanna go down. You keep going down it and it gets emptier and emptier. Why? Because it doesn't have the same effect. The thrill, the excitement always wears off. You throw it away and you go looking for something else. And pretty soon you're just this one big empty need. Right? That's just the truth. And we know it to be the truth, but somehow we think the next thing's gonna really come through for us. Right? And that's why he says, well, tell me, what fruit, what did you get from all of that? Right? Was it, how's it working out for you? You know? And it's not working out real well. Why? Because the end of these things is death. Okay? The end of these things is emptiness. And he says, I think this is interesting because it says there about being ashamed. Do you see it? And I, and I know that feeling because back when I was, before I became a believer, I used to do things, right? And I not only did them, and I, I, was, not, I was not ashamed at all. In fact, I, I, you'd brag about them, right? Man, you know what we did last night or whatever. And you'd, but I find it interesting that I, did, I had absolutely no problem with any of those things. But now that I'm a believer, and I've come this far, I look back at those things and I'm, and I'm ashamed of them. That's the way it works, isn't it? It's an amazing thing. Again, this is just all really gut level truthful things that Paul is saying to those who have truly, to, to those who are truly in Christ, because that's, what, that's the things that happen, right? The greatest testimony in the room is not mine. The greatest testimony in the room is someone in here who came to know Christ at five or six years old and, and don't have to look back and be ashamed of a whole lot of things. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? If, you're, if you came to the Lord older, you know what I'm talking about, all right? So it's an, it's an, it's an amazing thing. So let's, let's we'll get to finish, all right? But now that you've been set free from sin, you become slaves of the Lord or servants of God. Uh, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and at its end is eternal life. Guys, how do you determine value? There are two components to determining value. I'm gonna make it real simple. How valuable is something, right? Number one, how much does it cost? Number two, how long is it gonna last? That determines value. You can buy a car for 500 bucks, but if it only lasts two months, there's not a whole lot of value in that car. Does that make sense to you? So how much does it cost and how valuable is it? I mean, excuse me, how much does it cost? How long is it gonna last? Well, how much does it cost? Well, in this particular case, it cost Christ his life, God's son, right? How long is it gonna last? Well, can you put that verse 22 back up there? I, you try to gauge how long eternity is. I don't know, you know? But the scripture says that that is ours. Why? Because we're in him and that's his. And it's an incredible thing to think about. It's a powerful thing to think about. When you understand who you are in him, right? And the only thing that gets us sidetracked is living in this world and everybody's telling you, oh, but you're missing out of this, missing out of that. It's like, it's like what the prodigal son did, right? Prodigal son had it great at home, but he just thought he was missing out. And he left and went and, you know, it said that the, the scripture says, and he spent his living 
He spent his, his money on riotous living. In other words, oh man, you know, and, and then he found out where did it lead? And it just led down to the bottom. And before he actually came back and said, you know, dad, you were right. right. It's an incredible thing. You think on it. Verse 23 then is a very popular verse. And it's just a summary of the entire chapter. For the wages of sin is death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord, right? Or if you will, eternal life where? In Christ. So the key term becomes being in Christ, right? So as I close today, again, great passage, a couple of things. Um, if you're a believer, if you're not a believer here today, then the message is clear. And guys, that's why I like to tell people, this is not a denominational church, religious, you don't have to join anything, you don't have to do anything. Why? Because it's God's message to you. And it's a gift. And it can only be received by trusting it. So if, if that's never happened, then if you'd like to know more about what that means, there'll be some folks up here, right up here afterwards, I'd love to talk to you. There's also some booklets called Got Questions you can take as you leave. But if you're a believer here today, I wanted you to hear it if you truly are his. If you, if you are a believer, you say you're a believer, there should have been and still, still should be some sort of change in your life that happened and is growing. Now, yes, it can be, it can be thwarted by bad decisions and other things, but you know, the scripture teaches us that his spirit bears witness with ours that we're his. So we know for his, the battle that goes on inside of us and all the things that go with us. So I wanted you to understand who you are in him and that the way to grow is to yield those areas to him and say, Lord, I want what you want as opposed to what I want. And then these things begin to happen as he grows you into what the scripture says is the likeness of his son.